Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Building Faith Podcast. I'm so glad that you have tuned in. You may recall, if you've been tracking along with us for a little bit, that we began a series on prayer a number of weeks ago, but then sort of took a sidetrack as a result of the events of the coronavirus pandemic that really swept across the globe and really has affected us dramatically over the last number of weeks. We took a few weeks to really uh, dig into that matter and, and address that from a biblical perspective, but we want to return today to our series on prayer. And if you think about how you might want to learn more about prayer, who would you go to for counsel? Well, when we think about that from the standpoint of the New Testament, we find, for example, in Luke chapter 11, we find the disciples really making an appeal to Christ himself, Lord, teach us to pray. And it's in that context where Jesus begins to instruct them and give them a framework for prayer that we're going to take up now as we are joined by Pastor Shane Kohler in this next episode. All right, Shane, so we're back together, and we took a little bit of a uh, sidetrack for a few weeks to talk about this coronavirus epidemic, or pandemic, I should say, that we've been walking through and touch on a few uh, matters there. But before that, we had been in a short series on prayer, and so we're going to return to that today. It's interesting you say sidetrack, because uh, I think we understand that it all weaves in together, right? right. I mean, we could talk about Providence. In- you're already correcting me. I mean, we haven't, we haven't even gotten into this, and you're already rebuking me. <laughs> Instruction, maybe. <laughs> Not incorrect. Well, I was just thinking about this as I was thinking uh, about our, our series on prayer and where we are. That uh, you know, they're not unrelated subjects. Right. Uh, we, we were talking about God's providence as it relates to a building program, and then it just sort of bled into um, our life of prayer and how we participate together with what God's doing in in His providential means, and then. In God's providence, there was cast on us this massive uh, national worldwide crisis, which uh, fit very well within the whole topic that we're talking about. And now we're back talking about prayer, but even that, yeah, even that is is applicable to where we are as individuals and families in our homes. Yeah, and, yeah. And I found my crisis. way back to to that subject and thinking about this this time that we're in now, and um, and uh, how how much prayer um, could be a, a great blessing uh, in the lives of God's people right now. Well, it's in these times, I think, that we probably have to shamefully you know, look at our prayer life more than ever, because you know, when we're trying to get out the door in the morning, get kids out the door, you know, the school, or uh, you know, get our day started, or whatever it might be, um, you know, if you have a long commute or if you're a homeschooling mom or if you're whatever you're doing, we can almost look at that activity and, and use it as the excuse on why we're, our prayer life is not where it needs to be. Mm-hmm. And we look at the schedule and here we are and our schedules have completely come to a standstill. standstill. I mean, so many of us are, uh, are at home uh, or we're, we're at least on more relaxed schedules or, you know, our, 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 even if we're in the office, we're not meeting people as often or whatever it might be. And yet these are the times when the sort of searchlight is shined on our prayer life and we, we see whether or not 
it is really our busyness that is precluding us from prayer, or if it's something more internal, yeah. some, some disciplines that have fallen off in our life. Which is the way it is in every respect. I mean, I, I remember hearing something recently about how, not, not to go too, off of, too far afield, but just in the sense of what's, what's really going on inside of us or what's really at the core of who we are, it just needs the right opportunity or circumstance to be exposed. Yes. So you think about this particular time, and I, I heard something or read something recently about how people are eating more and gaining weight because, and, and less active. And so it's not as though all of a sudden people decided that the only thing to do right now is to eat more or not exercise. It's just that they didn't have the distractions to keep them for, keep that particular tendency from being exposed. I think the same thing applies to spiritual disciplines. Uh, you know that that it's not like we all oftentimes say things like, "Man, if I just had more time, if I if I wasn't so busy, then I would do this or this or this." But it really that is not a biblical truth, nor is it practically yeah. real. This is the moment of truth where we really begin to see that. I think some of us experience a frustration in our life because we can often look back on a, an earlier time in our life, maybe right after we came to know Christ or perhaps a, a moment of growth in our younger years when, when prayer seemed so vital to us, when it seemed like we were crying out to the Lord, uh, we were finding a refuge in Him, we were going to Him for counsel, uh, we were hungering to understand His truth and so praying over His Word all the time, thirsting for God. Or even just taking times of personal uh, praise, uh, personal worship, um, and being renewed in those seasons of communion with God. But then it seems like every believer comes to a point in their life when prayer begins to feel, uh, let's just say, more unnatural and less familiar, where it might be sort of the impulse of your brand new faith. Once you get into the routines of life, it, it almost doesn't come as easily. And so I wanted to take some time today to look at the Lord's Prayer, because it actually arises out of the same kind of impulse. The disciples, the, the, the Lord, what we know as the Lord's Prayer is, is really the disciples' prayer. It's what the Lord taught the disciples. But even that, Luke 11 tells us, it was prompted by a question that came from the disciples. They were watching the Lord in his prayer life. They had walked with him for some time and no doubt saw him rising habitually in the morning to go commune with his father and frequently in the evening going out to be alone to pray. And there's no doubt that they observed this in his life and wondered what the, where the zeal and the fervency came from. Uh, how how he maintained this kind of prayer life. And so they asked the Lord to teach us how to pray. And I'm not sure that they really were thinking, how do you articulate a prayer? They probably wanted to know the whole deal. You know, what, what, how do you pray like that? How do you pray consistently like that? I know, I know if I was with the Lord right now, you know, face to face, that's probably one of the top questions I would have for him. Yeah. How do you maintain that kind of a prayer life? Well, the Lord's Prayer is designed to, I think, help us with that. It's designed to help us 
when our life of prayer seems somewhat stunted by complacency or you know weariness or boredom or discouragement or might we even say guilt and doubt sometimes that can push us away from prayer so so this comes to us with a tremendous amount of benefit no matter what season of life we're in but especially now in this season you know when we are socially isolated a little bit because of the coronavirus we have more time on our hands uh, we have some great time to kind of reestablish some new disciplines. We ought to, anyway, in our life. You know, this question that the disciples asked, Lord, teach us to pray. Um, I, I just, I, it, it, I, I had a thought, you know, I wonder how many people are asking that question even today. So the way that I sought an answer is I went and I did a search on Amazon. And I just put in the, the search bar, pray, or prayer, I should say, and, and, specified books and it said over 80,000 titles on the subject of prayer. Hmm. There's a lot of people that are asking the question how do I pray? What what do I pray? What how how can I how should I pray? I mean it's you wouldn't have that many titles uh on a, on the subject if there wasn't questions that are being asked. Well, I, I would venture to guess that the majority of those titles miss the point. Oh, know, I, where, I think that they were all spot on. I, I think that, uh, yeah. 80,000. That's right. There's a, there's a definite filter there of that's, all the bad stuff. That's yeah. the way it normally happens. Right? Yeah, that's right. There's 80,000 excellent books on prayer. <laughs> uh, well, uh, I, I, I certainly know a few. Uh, we've been looking at Calvin's yeah. Institutes for a couple of weeks and reading through that. And again, we just commend that to anyone who is uh, looking for a good uh, sort of uh, relatively brief, but really excellent work on the subject of prayer. But there are a number of you know good works that uh, have, have uh, come out on prayer. There's uh, you know, D.A. Carson's book, uh, Call to Spiritual Renewal. There's uh, MacArthur's book, Alone with God. But uh, apart from all those, I mean, we just wanted to look just at at the Lord's model prayer for us and spend just a few minutes thinking about that particular text and and its application to us. Uh, it's interesting, you know, the context in which it comes is, uh, you know, as I said, it was in response to, in one situation, the, the disciples' request in the uh, path, a passage in Matthew 6, it comes as a part of Jesus' great Sermon on the Mount, and, um, you know, probably came quite early on in his uh, ministry. He was, he was teaching about a number of aspects of our Christian life and what righteousness looks like, and he begins to teach on the subject of prayer. And we just have to take note from the very get-go that this model prayer is not meant to be a rote prayer. Sometimes we recite it as as a you know a group and in certain settings. We used to recite it when I was in school. I mean, we would yeah. actually open up the day reciting the Lord's Prayer. We did it before football games. Oh yeah, we'd get uh, on one knee and the, the Lord's Prayer. Those days are long past, obviously. Yeah, our head coach, you know, would would uh, use very very um, creative language you know, during practice time, and then we'd huddle up at the end and we'd do the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> no no uh, disconnect there, I'm sure, in the minds of all you teenage boys. Yeah. But 
you know, the, 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 we would we would welcome that kind of rote prayer at this point, but uh, you know, it's not the season that we're in anymore in our country. But nevertheless, I mean, it's for for us as individuals, this prayer the Lord gives was never intended to be something that we that we did. As a matter of fact, I think the the whole tenor of the prayer is to take us beyond that sort of uh, ostentatious prayer. On one hand, Jesus confronts that in Matthew chapter six, the one who stands and prays to be heard by other people. Or on the other hand, the person that thinks that they're going to be heard because of the, their many words, mm-hmm. just kind of repeating the same words over and over and over again. And, and we can certainly fall into that temptation as well. But this is a prayer that's actually designed to help us move beyond all of that facade and, and to get to the heart of prayer. You know, I, I think often of a quote by Thomas Watson. He said that uh, prayer is most likely to pierce heaven, which first pierces one's own heart. Hmm. I've thought about that so often, how many prayers I've offered up that never even penetrated beyond the surface, you know, never went beyond the, the level of my, my uh, you know, outer garments, hmm. much less ever pierced down to my heart. And, uh, and I know what, what Thomas is talking about, uh, Thomas Watson's talking about. I know, uh, you know, that, that many, many times in, um, you know, in, in whatever season, uh, it might be because of busyness or just coldness in our own spiritual life or whatever it might be, that we just mouth off some prayers and, uh, and never let them really penetrate down to our soul. Hmm. And uh, those prayers are not only doing us no good, they're dishonoring to the Lord. And so what Jesus teaches us in the model prayer is really designed to help get us, first of all, into the right mindset of prayer from the beginning uh, so that we can then pray the right things, mm. you know, as we move through the prayer. And that's, that's the way it's designed. It's designed with this sort of progression that goes on um, and I think really supposed to, uh, supposed to guide us to the place where our petitions and our supplications have been rightly framed. You know, if you look at it, it's basically made up of six requests. Three of them that begin the prayer all have to do with God's glory, God's character, God's will. And then three of them have to do with us and our needs and our, you know, uh, protection and all that. And in general, uh, you know, that is the way that we ought to be approaching prayer, rather than just rushing in and, and just kind of launching into uh, all this, you know, requests that we have of God, we don't often take the time to, to stop and think about God's character, to frame our minds, uh, uh, to frame up in our minds who we're talking to, mm-hmm. who are we asking, and what are his capacities? You know, what are his, um, you know, what are his uh, interests and uh, his mandates and all that? And so Jesus gives us this prayer that I think intentionally is supposed to drive us to, to that point. You know, he starts sort of with the first uh, part of this, um, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So we just kind of begin by praying with God's power and God's character in mind. You know, we approach God and 
and uh, you know, Jesus has this address of our Father in heaven, not not to give us the sense that God is distant from us, that you know, here we are down on earth and God's way up in heaven, but really to remind ourselves that His throne is established in heaven, so that our prayers are not in vain to mm. begin with. And we're not asking, you know, some um, sort of uh, useless uh, uh, official with no authority to do anything. We're asking the God of all the universe, the one who has every authority to do everything that he pleases. And so we begin just by reminding ourselves of that. Uh, we not only come to him as our Father in heaven, but hallowed or holy be your name. So as we approach God, it's our first desire to have God's name honored, to have God's name hallowed in everything, especially in our requests. You know, we have to start there. If we don't start there by reminding ourselves that everything we're doing, everything we're asking, everything that will come out in this prayer is all first and primarily aimed at the glory of God, if we don't frame that up first, then we won't have the, the um, uh, I guess you might say, we won't have the approach to cleanse, to purify the requests that we might have in our heart. Hmm. You can't frame up a prayer saying, God, I'm, I'm approaching you, and I just want to begin by saying that this really is all about you. It's all about your glory. And then sort of dribble out a few narcissistic, selfish, greedy, whatever it might be, you know, request. It's really hard. It ought to be hard to make that transition in our minds from God's name being hallowed to our hollow requests. You know, I think about the, the, the language here, even it, it begins by instructing us to approach God as Father. So there is that that imagery that immediately comes to my mind of a father and a child. Um, but it starts with a place of extreme, ultimate honor of that Father. We can approach our Father who art in heaven as though it's our, you know, our our buddy next door who we need to, you know, borrow a tool from or something. Yeah, and even more so, this is not just our earthly father. This is our heavenly That's father. That's right. So, so how much more do we need to uh, kind of stop and, and compose ourselves and really remind ourselves who it is that we're talking to, what he deserves? Yeah. You know, what is the manner in which we ought to be approaching him? And what's the ultimate goal of all this? Uh, you know, I would guess that when my kids approach me for whatever they're asking or saying, that they have probably stopped and considered for a moment what I might already be thinking mm-hmm. about what they're asking. Uh, and this is really what we ought to be doing with God. In fact, it's, it's um, as a father, it's pleasing, it's, it's uh, you know, gratifying when your kids do yeah. kind of stop and, and, and reflect on what you or, or your wife you know, what their parents, um, you know, what they might be uh, inclined to counsel their kids to do. 
Yeah, and that's that demonstrates maturity on their part. Yeah. As they as they understand that more and more, it's an indication of them deepening in their sense of of maturity and 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 their even their approach to you. And on a practical level, it just makes conversation go easier, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, we they may be asking something that I hadn't thought about or I might be first inclined to disagree with, but the manner of approach certainly uh, you know, enhances that communication. Well, those are all sort of feeble, earthly analogies, right? But there's certainly some applicability here to to the Lord. We're we're just reminding ourselves of of uh, what is the purpose of this communication and uh, who it is that we're talking to, so that ultimately our prayers begin with being consumed with God and not with ourselves, because He's worthy of that. And uh, if this is, in fact, coming from the lips of our Savior, who himself had such a sustained, ongoing, fervent, passionate prayer life, he never grew weary of that kind of prayer. I mean, he didn't go through a season of time where he was very focused on praying God's character and then fall away and kind of, you know, pass on to a, a season where he's just focus on petty petitions. I mean, this is the way he prayed. I, I would imagine there were seasons of prayer where this is all that he did. Uh, he just spent time reflecting on God's character and God's glory. So that's certainly the beginning place. And of course, you know, along with that, the, the request, your kingdom come and your will be done, both of those sort of uh, go hand in hand. One of them ultimately asking for Christ's kingdom to be here. Now, we know that that's not something that is fully manifest until Christ's return. Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 15, in verse 28, he talks about the summing up of all things, or when all things are finally placed under his feet, and he says, at that point, God will be all in all. Well, we know that sort of theologically, or we might say eschatologically, is where everything is headed. But the nature of our prayer, I think based on what Jesus is saying, is that we want God to be all in all, you know, right now. Mm-hmm. We, want, uh, we want everything ultimately to be under his authority, everything to be under his feet, if you will, uh, God to place everything under his footstool. And, and of course, we know that's not going to happen apart from faith. That that's not going to happen as long as people continue to, to um, you know, in their counsels and in their motives and hearts, to be in rebellion against God. So ultimately, this this is this is a desire for God consciousness on the part of everyone around us. Now we probably feel that, uh, you know, on a on a global level, on a national level, sort of a corporate level, I think it's just innate to a Christian to sort of yearn to have God's kingdom and righteousness covering the earth as the waters cover the sea. But I really think that beyond that, we need to—it would be helpful, let me say it this way, for us as Christians to individualize that. To recognize that we want God's sovereign kingdom everywhere, including the person across the street, including the person that 
you know, that we come encounter uh, in, uh, come in, uh, and encounter every day. What am I saying? I, what I'm saying is you can't really sincerely be praying for God's kingdom unless you're praying for the opportunities yourself to spread that kingdom. Hmm. Unless you're asking God to show you that individual today. Unless you're asking God to show you that person to whom you need to speak about God's kingdom, about his gospel, about his salvation. I mean, if you're, if you're genuinely saying to God, God, I want your kingdom to come, you can't really think and believe and want that without also wanting to be his instrument mm. in whatever small way to do that. So this ought to be a part of our prayer life. We ought to be praying for, uh, you know, for God to show us someone, or maybe there's already someone in our, our lives that we're just praying, God, help me to figure out a way to speak to this person about the gospel. I mean, it could be a, it could be a, a sibling. Um, it could be a, a child, a parent, someone right in your immediate family, or it could be a coworker, or a, a neighbor, whoever it might be, but someone that you, you feel like needs the gospel, you're, you're maybe even struggling sometimes. But you, but but this is all I think wrapped up in this idea of God wanting God's sovereign reign to be manifested everywhere, and then you wanting to be whatever kind of part of that you can. Uh, you know, when Jesus is is giving us this request for uh, this arrival of God's kingdom, it has got to come with an embedded uh, component. Of uh, of us wanting to do whatever we can to bring that about. When we when we pray, I just wonder how. I mean, this is such a, a phenomenal framework for us, and yet I think how easy it is for us to be negligent in our prayers to not even think about the kingdom of God. We're thinking about our kingdom. We're thinking about mm. the things that we need in this life, and yet this puts front and center uh, this matter of priority of focus that, as you said before, should really frame up and inform how we pray the rest of the way through this mm. model. Yeah, we're all about extending our reach, Yeah, uh, but we're not always so focused on extending God's. But, you know, I, I, I find that when my mind is most focused on praying for the lost, and when I say the lost, I'm not talking about the sort of the general lost. When I'm praying for a person, and they're part of my prayer life every day, and I'm seeing them, Every day, every time I see them, I'm pricked to go back to prayer. So this almost has an embedded element of of uh, stoking the embers of your prayer. Hmm. When, you, when this becomes a focus of your prayer, it's uh, it's like it's built in. Uh, it's a built-in catalyst to more prayer. Uh, when you get your mind off yourself, you get your mind onto God's kingdom. When you get your mind off yourself, you get your mind onto the lost. And it may very well be this missing element in people's lives that explains why so few are actually doing anything evangelistic at all, because it isn't even a part of their prayer life to begin with. And yet Jesus embedded it right there, telling us from the very get-go that this needs to be a part of our prayer life, a part of our model prayer. And then, of course, you know, right along with that, the, the, the commitment that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that all sort of ongoing stubbornness, um, ongoing rebellion, ongoing lack of yielding 
in our own life to him would be you know done away with that it is god's um sort of kingdom continuing to expand its reach all over the globe and even in our own reach but then internally that 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 will of god that sovereignty of god um would be reigning in our own hearts so that that that, that all that stuff is there i think long before we ever get to any requests, that if it's not um, if it's not a part of our prayer life, it may very well be the explanation on why it has died away, you know, why the fervency has gone, why it doesn't pierce our own heart, as Thomas Watson said. Hmm. Well, such great insight and encouragement from, from really from Christ himself in this model prayer, and you've laid a incredible foundation for what we're going to step into next time as we continue this discussion and really look at the remaining petitions that are in this prayer as we think about the provision of our daily bread and the desire to be forgiven as we forgive and also to be guarded against temptation. And it's so helpful. Um, I just want to make mention of the fact that some of the resources that Shane, you mentioned, um, are linked on our website. We have a, a section just called, uh, it's called Pray, and it's just one whole page devoted to resources on prayer. So I would encourage you to check that out. There's links to uh, Calvin's work on prayer from his institutes and the books that you referenced, I think, are linked there, as well as some other resources. So some great opportunity for us to continue to cultivate this desire and this discipline of prayer in our lives. So thank you for walking us through this, and uh, we're looking forward to the next time we get together. Thanks, Richard.